Good afternoon. Let's begin our next session with this question. Are all evils the same? Is there such a thing as the lesser of two evils? These days, we have something called moral equivalence. That is, every sin or every crime or every wrongdoing is said to be as equal or as heinous as another one. This is common. This is a common belief. And so, some people say, yes, all evil is the same. All sin is the same, they say. They say, since the two big candidates, that is, uh, President Trump and Joe Biden, since the two of them are the same in evil, you know, that they both have evil beliefs, they both have done evil things in the past, both are evil men even now, they're not Christians, so on. Um, therefore, <clears throat> I'm going to vote third party, they say. I'm going to vote third party instead of voting for one of them. And in fact, the governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, recently, after he voted in early voting, he voted for Ronald Reagan. Even though he is a Republican, he voted for Ronald Reagan, who was president from 1980 to 1988 and died a few years ago. He's dead. Um, legally, it's impossible for him to become president, right? And physically, it's impossible for him to become president because he's dead. And yet, Larry Hogan, a Republican governor of the state of Maryland, he had the audacity not only to do so, but to publicize it in spite of President Trump. Now, others say, I can't vote for the two big candidates because it's useless. It's useless. I'm, it's not going to matter. So I'm going to vote or go third party. Others will say, I can't vote for Mr. Trump or Mr. Biden because I would be supporting their evil. If I vote for them, I would support their evil. Whatever happens, happens is another answer. I have no control over it. I have no control, they say. And also they say that their candidate, what if they do vote third party, or if they don't vote at all, whatever candidate they plan to vote for third party, let's say the Libertarian Party or the, the, the Green Party or some other party, even the Communist Party, if they vote another party, a third party, then they, in their mind, they have the perfect candidate. Or if they don't vote at all, they still have in their mind the perfect candidate. But I submit that there is no perfect candidate. The only perfect candidate would be Jesus Christ. And the way that these people think they would not even vote for Jesus Christ. That's the way they are, the people with that mentality. Then, let me illustrate with a few practical examples before we go into the scriptures in this topic of the lesser of two evils. Do these people really believe all evils or sins are equal? Do they really believe that? I say they do not. For example, if one, if, if he were driving in a, a zone that's 45 miles an hour, if he were to go 48 miles an hour and a police officer would stop him, the police officer would have the right and even the duty, or maybe he has some leeway, 
I don't know how it all works, but I know that sometimes if a driver is a mile or two or three over the limit, the police officer may stop the driver and say to the driver, this is a warning. Or the police officer may issue a ticket. But the fine in the ticket, whatever dollar it is, just use a round number, let's say it's $100. If that's the fine for driving three miles over the limit, would the police officer be doing right, yes, to, to issue the ticket? But what if this man driving were driving 78 miles an hour or 100 miles an hour in a 45 zone? Then would the police officer issue him a ticket with certainty? Yes. And the driver would deserve it? Yes. And then would the fine be the same? Would it be $100 or would it be more? Typically, it's higher. It's higher the, the faster you've been going. And suppose this driver were driving recklessly in rush hour traffic, zigzagging this way, that way, in and out of traffic, endangering many people. And then what if he got into an accident? Of course, the penalties, the severity of what he did, whether 78 miles an hour in a 45 zone or 100 miles an hour in a 45 zone, that is more heinous or more severe of a crime than going 48 in a 45 zone. That's self-evident. Everybody knows that. How about this? What about a drunkard? Let's say that there's a man who gets drunk, but his practice of getting drunk is not to get drunk out in the bar and then to drive home. It's not to go to a party with his buddies and then to drive home at midnight or 2 a.m. His practice is to get drunk when he's at home. So he drinks in the evenings, and then 10 p.m. comes, he's drunk, and he falls asleep drunk. That's his practice. Now, is he sinning? Is he doing evil by getting drunk? Yes. But what if we have a drunkard who does go to the bar, who does stay out late at night, 1 or 2 a.m.? What if he is so drunk, so intoxicated, that he drives home, and then he runs into other drivers? And let's say that there is a five-car accident, and three people die in that five-car accident because of the drunkard. Isn't that worse of a scenario than the man who gets drunk at home and falls asleep? Yes. Everybody knows that. Who would deny that but a crazy man? Another example. What if someone stole a pencil or a package of pencils, a packet of pencils from the store? Would that be a sin and a crime? Would that be evil? Of course it would be. It doesn't belong to him. He didn't pay for it. He should have paid the money at the store and then taken it home in the bag. But what if a man kidnaps, steals a 10-year-old girl? What if he steals the 10-year-old girl and then rapes her and then murders her? Which theft is worse? The theft of a package of pencils or the kidnapping, the stealing of a human being, a little girl, raping and murdering her. Do we all not know? Is it not self-evident that all evils are not the same? They're not of the same severity and heinousness. Furthermore, every day we make choices of the lesser evil. Every day we have jobs. We have to choose our employers the circumstances are of our employment. 
Every day, we make choices on houses, talking about society generally, where we're going to live, what kind of house we purchase, where it's going to be, how much it's going to cost, what the facilities are, who our neighbors are going to be, how far it is from our employer, how far it is from school. All of these choices we make, right? How about the cars we purchase? Do we not make choices of the lesser evil in purchasing cars? How about who we marry? How about who we marry? Do we marry the perfect spouse? No, but we do the best we can. Prayerfully, if we're Christians, we do the best we can with whom we marry. How about the churches we choose and the pastors who lead us and teach us? Do we not every day make choices of the lesser evil with the churches that we choose? The circumstances that are available in those churches? We do that all the time. How about the food we eat? the water we drink. These days, we have all kinds of warnings and all kinds of books and articles, medical research, this and that. This food is good for you, no, but that other food is bad for you. Drink this kind of water, but don't drink that kind of water. On and on and on. We're constantly told about this and that. You need this vitamin, but you don't need that vitamin. Why are we told all this? Isn't all evil the same? It doesn't matter. Why are we told things like that. The doctors we choose, the car mechanics we choose, it doesn't matter. Everything in life is a matter of choosing the lesser of two evils. You assess the circumstances and make the best choice according to your circumstances and according to the values that you have developed according to the Word of God. That is the way we live life. Every day is choosing the lesser of two evils. Now, in this regard, what about, what about thinking of both politics and then the, the Scripture? Who is the perfect candidate in your mind? Whether of the two major candidates in the Republican and Democrat parties or just the party platforms or even a third party, who is your perfect candidate? If you submit a name, I guarantee you that we would be able to find a dozen failures, a dozen sins, a dozen evils, a dozen crimes of your candidate. Either crimes he has committed or evils he has committed or intends to commit with his policies and based on his character. It's possible and, it's, and it is indeed the case. We could find that. Even if you said that I'm going to vote for a Christian candidate, a truly born-again Christian candidate. Really? A truly born-again Christian candidate? Where are they? And the moment you present a name, I'm quite sure that we're going to find heretical beliefs in that so-called Christian candidate. We're going to find them, heretical beliefs. And I even submit to you I don't know, I have not studied all of the presidents of the United States since its inception, but all of the popular ones, I don't know if there is a singular, born-again, Christian, popular president that has ever held office in the United States. I don't know of one. In, in our lifetime, I would say the best one was Ronald Reagan, but he was not a born-again Christian. He was not born again. And in some of his policies, he acted contrary to the Christian faith. 
Not primarily, but in some ways he acted contrary. But was he the best of all of our recent ones? Yes, he was the best. He was the lesser of all the evils that the American people have elected. Would you vote for yourself? Would you vote for yourself? It's easy to criticize and to find the foibles and failures of others, but would you ever vote for yourself? And if you say yes, then let me investigate your background. Let me know the things you have said in private, in your own family. Let me hear all of the vulgarity and the curse words that you have spoken in private. I hope that I, there will probably be hot mics available to know what you have actually done and said. What about the, the sins that you committed when, in your youth? You want everybody to know that? The moment everybody knows that, then you are disqualified. Even if you think you would vote for yourself. I guarantee you, we could find moral failures, evil policies, and heretical beliefs even in you. Also, would you vote for our Lord Jesus Christ? Would you vote for our Lord Jesus Christ? Because some of us, some within Christianity, think that Jesus had no concern for politics, so I should have no concern for politics. So if you present to me a theoretical possibility that Jesus is running for president of the United States, then that would be impossible because he would never do that. That's their thinking. But I, I submit that they are wrong in their thinking. Now, if it is wrong to think this way, if it is wrong to think of the lesser of two evils, if it is wrong to vote for, support, in whatever way, candidates who have less moral failings, better policies that are beneficial for society generally, if that is the right way to go, not the wrong way, why go against it when the Scripture gives examples of what I just said? The Scriptures give us examples of many, many examples of people who supported the lesser of two evils, or even supported pagan and wicked kings and rulers. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, chapters 37 to 50, Joseph, did he sin when he became ruler of Egypt under a pagan pharaoh? Did Joseph sin? He entered that position voluntarily. He did not enter it under compulsion. And just like voting is voluntary, he entered that position voluntarily. Was Joseph a sinner and doing evil by supporting the Pharaoh? No, he was living righteously as much as possible under that Pharaoh and employing policies that would benefit the whole nation. The whole nation. Not only the people of Israel, but the whole nation. Did Jacob and family, did they sin when they migrated to Egypt? Jacob migrated in Genesis chapters 46 to 50. Jacob and family migrated to Egypt, a land of idolatry. It's a land of idolatry. The people of Israel worshipped idols in the land of Egypt. They eventually did, his descendants did, not Jacob while he was alive, but among his descendants, many of them began to worship idols in the land of Egypt. 
check Joshua 24, 14, and 15. How about Obadiah? He was a court official in the court of the wicked, murderous King Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 18. Obadiah, his official, Obadiah, it says in verses 3 and 12, 1 Kings 18, 3 and 12, it says that he feared the Lord greatly and feared the Lord from his youth and now served in the northern kingdom where there were 20 evil kings and he served under evil king Ahab. Was he sinning when he did that? No, he was faithful. How about Daniel's three friends? In the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, they became court officials in the, the court of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, evil king of Babylon. They were his court officials. But that, did that mean that whenever Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to worship idols, they would worship idols? No. But whenever Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to carry out their duties that would benefit his whole kingdom, administering justice and righteousness as officials of Nebuchadnezzar, they did so. They did what was their duty to do so under God and under the authority of the immediate king. They did whatever was required of them according to the will of God and the will of the king whenever there was harmony. But whenever there was disharmony between the will of Nebuchadnezzar and the will of God, what did they do? Daniel's three friends, they refused to worship the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had erected, even on pain of death being thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. They refused to do so. That shows that it's possible to work with and support an evil king, not in his evil, but in their duty of practicing justice and righteousness in the government. Furthermore, Daniel himself, did he sin in the administrations of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Cyrus, king of Persia, and Darius, king of Persia? All of these kings, all of these empires were pagan empires. He did not sin. And even he was tempted in Daniel chapter 6 to worship the king. And he refused. And God delivered him. Whenever he needed to practice his duties, he did so. And he did so faithfully. Because even the conspirators, they said, we're not going to be able to find fault with Daniel in all of his dealings, for he deals faithfully. We're going to have to find a ground of accusation against his God. And that's what they attempted to do. So in his daily duties, he was righteous. What about Nehemiah? Nehemiah, did he sin as cupbearer to Artaxerxes in the book of Nehemiah? No. Whenever he had authority as the cupbearer and whenever he had authority as the governor, and he was governor for 20 years in the land of Judea under the Persians, he didn't sin by being under the authority of Artaxerxes, a pagan, idolatrous king. He did his duty, that which was beneficial and righteous for all the people. He did that faithfully. But no, he didn't compromise by worshiping idols committing immorality, getting drunk, and doing all the other things that people in a power and authority and with lots of wealth do. He didn't do those things. He did what was righteous before the people. Furthermore, 
How about Esther? Esther and Mordecai. Did Esther, Queen Esther, and did Mordecai, who also became ruler of Persia, similar to Joseph, the second ruler of Persia, under Ahasuerus, the pagan king, Esther chapter 10, verse 3. In 10.3, it says that he became second only to Ahasuerus, the king of Persia. Was Mordecai a sinner for supporting the king? Was Queen Esther a sinner and doing evil by supporting the king? No. They lived faithfully and righteously with the duties given to them, being mindful of the fact that they should never contradict the word of God. Follow the king's orders until the king expects them to contradict the word of God. Then they go with God and not the king. Now, specifically, some biblical evidence that actually speaks of this concept of lesser evils. A few examples. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. For those proponents of the red letter Bible, we have some red letters to read to, that show that there is no moral equivalence from the lips of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. No moral equivalence. Matthew 11, verse 20. Then he, that is Christ, began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Why is it that on the day of judgment, verses 22 and 25, why is it on the day of judgment that it's going to be more tolerable for Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom than for the three cities where Jesus performed his miracles and taught the people. Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum. Why? Because these three cities committed worse unbelief and disobedience than Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. He says so. More tolerable, more tolerable in verses 22 to 24. How about Matthew chapter 12? Matthew 12, 43. Matthew 12, 43 to 45. 12, 43. Now, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be 
with this evil generation. Christ here says that when a man has an evil spirit exercised, removed from him, when it goes away, that man has temporary relief. However, sometimes what happens is that when that one evil spirit leaves, verse 45, it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. More wicked or more evil, more sinful than itself. Then the condition of the man, the state of the man, becomes worse in his latter condition than in his former condition. Is that not grading evil, saying that there is severities of evil, grades of evil? Yes. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 Verse 38, 1238. And in his teaching, Christ's teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They are the ones who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive Greater condemnation. Greater condemnation for the scribes because of their pomp and because of their exploitation of widows. They will receive greater condemnation than others who don't do these sins. And also, in the case of Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum, and also the scribes here, what is it that they know? That holds them more accountable. They know the word of God. They have heard the true teaching explained to them, yet they walked away from it, yet they rejected it. They refused to believe in it. And the others, they did not have access to it. So therefore, those who know more will be judged more, will be judged more severely, which reminds us of James 3, verse 1. James 3, verse 1, Let many of you, my brethren, not become teachers, for as such we shall incur a stricter judgment, a stricter judgment for those who teach the Bible. And returning to our passage in John 19, 11. John 19, 11, Jesus is before Pontius Pilate. Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. Pilate received the controversy among the disciples and among the crowds and among the religious authorities of the day. He was an inheritor of those conflicts. And he was unaware of the theological basis for all of that. Yet, he had ultimate authority, and he's still guilty for executing Christ. But not as guilty as those who knew better and delivered Christ up to him. 
They have the greater sin. So there is gradation as well there. Now also, let's go to see a few examples from the book of Exodus. From the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21, verses 12 to 17. Exodus 21, 12 to 17. In terms of legal repercussions or legal penalties, let's notice what the penalties are. They're not all the same in this paragraph and in, and in our next example. 21.12, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint a place to which he may flee. If, however, a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar that he may die. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And he who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. The primary penalty here is the death penalty. But there is an exception in verses 13 to 14. If one man killed another accidentally, that's what's meant in 13, God let him fall into his hand. And in 14 it says, if however a man acts presumptuously, which is contrary to 13, it was an accident, presumptuously means that you plotted. If you plotted to kill a man, that's murder, and you do it craftily, 14, those who murder do it presumptuously and craftily. They are guilty of murder and should be put to death, but not when the accident happens in verse 13. God let him fall into his hand. That man does not deserve the death penalty. So both situations, death occurs, or in all these Death occurs as the penalty, except in verse 13, because of the accident. What about Exodus 22, verse 1? Exodus 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. There's no death penalty here. And it doesn't say if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay 500 oxen for the ox. It says five. And it doesn't even say one ox for the ox. It says five oxen for the ox. Five because he stole one ox. And then four sheep for the sheep. Four because he stole one. What if he stole two? Then eight sheep for the two he stole, right? That's the equation given here in Exodus 22, verse 1. But the death penalty is not here. Hanging is not here. Stoning to death is not here. Nothing like that's here. 
for this crime. It is a crime, it is a sin, but it's not of the same severity or heinousness as what we read in Exodus 21. Now, a word of clarification. All sin or evil is worthy of death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And according to James 2.10 and 11, he who keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. So one failure or one sin, one transgression against God, according to James, makes you guilty before God and worthy of death. Just as it happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. One transgression brought their death, their spiritual death, and the penalty was expulsion from the garden. They were driven out, correct? So it is true that one sin produces death, only one. And that's all that we need to be guilty before God. But then when you're talking about comparing one sin to another and their consequences in this life and the consequences in the life to come, there are degrees. There's greater and lesser, more tolerable, less tolerable, as we just saw from these scriptures. And in that light, this is how we should view the choices we make every day, but also the political choices we make. Let me present many topics that are on our minds and that are real political controversies and where each of the candidates, the main candidates, both Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden, where they fall on this. And from a Christian perspective, what our view should be from the Bible. Babies, the murder or the slaughter of babies. President Trump and the Republican Party, they do not believe that it should be legalized. They, should, they do not believe that our tax dollars should be used and spent on murdering babies. They do not believe it. Their platform is against it. But the Democrats and Mr. Biden, they wholeheartedly believe in butchering and slaughtering babies, which they call family planning, what they call planned parenthood. Planned parenthood, a euphemism for destroying your parenthood. That's really what it is. They use uh, fictitious and euphemistic words to describe what they say it is. They call it pro-choice. Well, what about the choice of one of the parents of that child about to be murdered? What if one of the parents says no? Why is it that only the wife is able to choose or the mother is able to choose and not the father? Where is his choice? What about the choice to live? And, all, and so they come up with false terminology and euphemisms to sugarcoat the gravity of the evil they believe in. There is no possibility that we as Christians, based on Scripture, should allow for putting to death innocent human life, which starts from conception. It starts there, innocent human life. We're not talking about insects. We're not talking about plants. 
We're not talking about rats and snakes. We're not talking about turtles. We're not talking about wild animals like lions and bears. We're not even talking about dogs and cats. We are talking about human beings, people, and they are created in the image of God. They do not deserve death. The moment we justify them dying in that way, there is blood on our hands, and God will hold us accountable. Therefore, there is no way anyone who is a Christian and anyone who has any humanity in him, even the non-Christians, the unbelievers, whoever has a bit of humanity in him, he should never support the slaughter of babies, the most vulnerable and innocent in our society. Innocent in the sense that they have not stolen anything, they have not murdered anybody, they have not kidnapped anybody. They're innocent in that sense, in the civil and societal sense. We're not talking whether they are innocent in the sight of God, spiritually speaking. We're talking about in a civil societal sense. They are innocent, and if we will not protect them, we're not really even protecting the women who murder their own babies. We're not protecting the fathers because they live with guilt and they live a miserable life after they commit that heinous sin. Sodomy, homosexuality. How is it that anybody who is a Christian or anybody who has any humanity in him, even if he is an atheist, he knows how it works? He knows how the birds and the bees work. He knows what nature is like. He knows that. He has to deny it like a crazy man, a madman, deny it to justify a man being with the man or a woman being with the woman. And why should we legalize those things? It's not good for anybody's society, any society around the world. Well, In the, the Republican Party, they allow for religious freedom so that we can preach against it and persuade people that it is a sin, a heinous evil that should not be practiced. But in the Democrat Party, they say, no, no, you should not be able to say that. And if you say it, it's hate speech. If you say it, we're going to penalize you. If you say it, we're going to fine you. If you say it, we're going to close down your churches. If, we, if you say it, we're going to throw you in prison. If you say it, we're going to put you on the terrorist list. Terror, terrorists. We're going to put you as a hateful person or a hateful pastor, a hateful Christian, on the list of terroristic groups in the United States. And therefore, whoever is a terrorist is susceptible to penalties, imprisonment, and maybe even execution. What about pedophilia? Pedophilia. If you hear, as we have heard in recent years especially, news reports as to the, the pedophilia that is rampant both in the United States and around the world, usually, I would say at least nine out of ten times, who is guilty of it? Which political party has their cabal, has their secret people doing this pedophilia. It's usually Democrats, because in their worldview, 
it's justifiable, though it's shameful and they can't publicize it, they think it's justifiable because they have a perverse, self-indulgent, hedonistic worldview. Yes, this is why Jeffrey Epstein is associated with Democrats. This is why Bill Clinton is associated with Democrats. This is why Joe Biden, I don't know if there's evidence of pedophilia, there is certainly evidence of sexual assault against women and at least one allegation of rape that suddenly it disappeared. Nobody's talking about it. Why? Joe Biden, why? And why is it that Hunter Biden is alleged on his laptop to have pictures, gruesome pictures, ugly pictures of him with 14-year-old girls, 14-year-old girls, underage girls, Hunter Biden, Democrat. It's rampant. In Hollywood, it's the Democrats. In the media, it's the Democrats. You name whatever host, news anchor, this or that, it's usually a Democrat who is engaged in assaulting women, in raping women, in pedophilia, and all of that. It's usually them. If you have a conscience, you would not give them power. What about illicit drugs? Illicit drugs. Drugs and the gangs that go together with the drugs. The Democrat Party is the one that pushes it into the United States. It was Barack Hussein Obama and Eric Holder, his attorney general, who gave weapons, weapons, Weapons to the drug cartels in Mexico. They gave them there, and they gave them, the Iranians and other foreign adversaries, access to the United States to push drugs, tons and tons, billions of dollars of drugs into the United States to pollute our cities and to pollute our small towns, to pollute our schools, to corrupt and destroy our society. It was the Democrat Party, not the Republican Party. In fact, since, 20, uh, since Trump has been in office, President Trump in 2017, there has been a significant decrease in the amount of drug influence and infiltration into the United States. He's stopping it at sea. He's stopping it at the borders. They are confiscating tons and tons of illicit drugs from coming into the United States. President Trump has said that he does not, he has never taken drugs, he, has, he doesn't even drink alcohol, he's never smoked a cigarette. And the media, the Democrat media and the Democrat politicians ridiculed him for that. But they celebrated it when Barack Hussein Obama said he did. They celebrated it when, they said, when Bill Clinton said he did. They celebrated it when Kamala Harris says that she did. Why do they celebrate it? Because they're evil. And they, they do that because their voters want that, and they want to promote that in the U.S. society, even in our churches and in our families. Illicit drugs and gangs. How about illegal aliens? Illegal aliens. That's not a word used very often these days. They come up with euphemisms all the time. Undocumented workers. Undocumented workers. Really, what's an undocumented worker? No, he is a felon. Because if you breach federal law, you are a felon. 
Whether you're a foreigner or a, a native, you are a felon if you breach, break federal law. So these are felonious aliens. They are that. Which country can survive without keeping control of their borders? No country can. And whatever country criticizes the United States or President Trump for desiring to, to keep the border secure from illegal aliens, he's often criticized. So whenever they criticize him, they are the biggest hypocrites in the world. The biggest hypocrites in the world. And even the Democrat politicians are this way. Why? They say, you can't have a wall. It's, a, it's racist to have a wall on the southern border. Racism, right? Well, do they have walls around their house? Yes, they do. Do they have security guards with weapons guarding them? Yes, they do. So they are hypocrites. They have walls. Nancy Pelosi has walls. Chuck Schumer has walls. Joe Biden has walls. They all have walls. And yet they criticize President Trump and Republicans for trying to control the border with walls. Hypocrites. The economy, the economy, the economy is, that was built in the last three years until this year, March this year, the economy that was built in the three years leading up to March 2020 was built by President Trump and with the help of some Republicans. He built it, not Barack Hussein Obama. Barack Hussein Obama said, what, you have a magic wand? We have to prepare for an era of decline. We don't deserve what we got. You didn't do that. You didn't make that. These are things that Barack Hussein Obama said. And his GDP was, on average, 1% growth from quarter to quarter. 1% gross domestic product. 1% average. And he said that's the way it needs to be in our era of decline. We just need to get accustomed to the era of decline. And he said, it's not going to happen. It doesn't, we don't deserve it to happen. But then Trump made it happen. He made it happen, and now sometimes they try to take credit for it. When all the while they were working against it and saying, no way, you don't deserve it, and it's not going to happen. The economy. Nobody has built the economy up like President Trump. Ronald Reagan did to some extent, but I think that in many ways the difference between Reagan and Trump is a difference between one and 10, or one in 100, in terms of the amount of accomplishments of President Trump with the help of some Republicans. Not all, some of the Republicans. I would not trust them. When they talk about the economy, and when they talk about taxes, when they talk about the economy and taxes, do you know what they want? They want to raise taxes by at least $4 trillion. $4 trillion. Joe Biden, $4 trillion. He has spoken about raising taxes. $4 trillion. He claims it's only for the rich. But there is no way, statistically speaking, that only the very wealthy will pay $4 trillion. There aren't enough of them. And besides that, between now and then, they will find ways to invest in their taxes or in their money to avoid the taxes. You know who's going to be hit? You and me. And in fact, to support this assertion,
that he is lying by saying he's only going to tax the rich. He has also said that he's going to reverse or nullify the Trump tax cuts. Who did the Trump tax cuts benefit? You and me. All of us who don't make hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. They benefited all of us, decreasing our taxes by a few thousand dollars, by taxes and regulations. It benefits all of us. So when he says, and whenever Democrats say this, it's their history to say this, that they're going to make the economy better for us, they're not. They usually make it worse for us, with a couple of exceptions. They usually make it worse. How about health care? Health care. Um, Barack Hussein Obama. A woman asked about her 100-year-old mother or grandmother, 100-year-old, what's going to happen to her under Obamacare? And Obama told her, you can find this, it's readily available. Obama told her that we'll just give her some medicine or something for her to die at um, whatever age, to die in less pain. That was his answer. His answer was not, we'll do the best we can to help her. We'll invent, we'll legalize, we'll have uh, these drugs that you can try, and things like that to help her. Nothing. Nothing like that. Only drugs to ease the pain so that she dies sooner than later. That was what he answered her. What about when he said that with Obamacare, you're going to be able to keep your plan? Your employer health care. You're, you're going to be able to keep your plan. Well, after Obamacare, millions, tens of millions lost their health care coverage. And their prices went up. He said the prices would go down. But the prices went up. You like your doctor, you'll be able to keep your doctor, he said. But they weren't able to. Tens of millions not able to keep their doctors. What are we dealing with here? We are dealing with people who, in the name of humanity, destroy humans. In the name of love and compassion, have no love and compassion. They use these trigger words to deceive us when their intention is the very opposite of what they say. Now we're dealing with a liar. That's not the way President Trump talks. We'll, we'll speak more about that. He is more honest than the average politician since I've been paying attention since age 13. He's more honest than the average politician that I've ever known since age 13, and I'm 54. How about, they say, he didn't handle the Wuhan flu correctly. He didn't handle it correctly. Actually, he handled it better than anybody else. Now, we do know that this has been hyped. It's been overrated and exaggerated, the, 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 the lethality of it, the danger of it, and all that. And all kinds of things have happened to us since March. And all of that is a bunch of nonsense. It's all political. It's political. Now, having said that, he has done more to help the healthcare industry, the, the vaccination industry, and helping American people with health and facilities, he's done more than Joe Biden would ever do, would ever do, or the Democrat Party would ever do, because they don't believe in helping. They say they want to help, but they don't ever help. They don't. They make it worse. In fact, 
Joe Biden opposed the many good decisions that President Trump made since January, and he has not offered any alternative how he would have done it differently to help the American people. What about the military? What about the military and wars? President Trump has built up the military. He has um, used a lot of money to rejuvenate all the branches of the military, and in, in fact, he has an additional branch, the Space Force. He's done all of this to help the military. He respects the military, he loves them, and he knows that we need them because of our foreign enemies. We do have foreign enemies. And President Trump, not only in building up the military, but in withstanding the attacks of the enemies, he has helped. And he has diffused much violence abroad. In Iran, he's helping that situation. He's doing what is right and good to stop Iran. He has been keeping North Korea at bay too. China, Russia, he has tightened the screws on these adversaries of ours consistently, strongly. Then he has brought troops home. The troops for decades were going abroad fighting worthless wars, endless worthless wars. That's what they were doing. And now he has brought also not only the troops back home, many of them back home, but he has also brought peace in the Middle East. Everybody ridiculed him. Everybody said it's impossible, but he's been doing it. And the latest nation to have peace with Israel is Sudan. Sudan, now I think that's at least four nations in the Middle East that is restoring a proper civil relationship with the nation of Israel. And the way they treat Israel has its implication not only in that region, but around the world, including the United States. Because those who hate Israel will first try to crush Israel and then crush the United States. Because these two nations have the Bible. Israel, of course, in Judaism in that sense, but they do have the Bible, and these people hate the Bible. And especially here, they hate the Bible. They hate it. They want to get rid of it completely. What about China? We could actually say that this presidency, this election, is about whether Xi Jinping or Trump will be in office. Xi Jinping or Trump will be in office. Not Joe Biden. Joe Biden, he is, uh, historically, from his childhood, he was a numbskull. He still is a numbskull, and some of that shows. Just a, a complete, a, a complete uh, fool. He doesn't have a clue about life. Academically, he isn't bright at all either. Contrary to the things that he has said, it's all been proven wrong. He didn't pass in the highest uh, of his class, highest rank of his class, and things like that. He, in fact, he was one of the lowest ones. I think seventh from the bottom, something like that, in his class in law school, so on. So he is nothing like that. But more than that, he is very, very corrupt. Very, very corrupt. For 30 years, according to Hunter Biden, they have been, his family has been, involved with foreign countries, including China, 
Russia, Ukraine, and perhaps other countries we don't know about, but at least these three countries, in the last 30 years, they've been involved, and whatever deals they strike with China, Russia, or Ukraine, it comes to his family members, and it's documented that 50% of it goes to Joe Biden. He arranges for these uh, deals, and then the money goes to Joe Biden. That's corruption, absolute corruption. He did it as a senator, and then he uh, exacerbated it as vice president of the United States under Barack Hussein Obama. These are the things going on. Does it not phase us as Christians? I'm especially uh, appalled at uh, the people like Tim Keller, Al Mohler, John Piper, Matt Chandler, David Platt, Tony Evans, who have no clue? Is it really that they have no clue that everything the Democrat Party is saying and everything the Chinese communists are saying matches? It matches. It's as though the, Dem uh, the Chinese Party is saying, we'll give you this money, you Democrats, but this is what you need to say. And then they say, okay, well, that's what we'll say. And then that is repeated by Democrat politicians, and that's what, what is repeated in the media. What about crime, law, and order? 1994, 1994, there was a crime bill, and Joe Biden, Joe Biden led the charge. In that crime bill, he actually called black people, especially black men, predators. He called them that, and ostensibly, pretentiously, he says, this is going to avoid crime or help crime, when actually it was the very opposite. Bill Clinton and Joe Biden made this into law. Well, who reversed it a, a year or two ago? Who had a better plan? Who is the one? President Trump, along with a handful of Republicans. They reversed that and they made it better so that black people are not targeted. Police. We all need the police. They have been demonized. They have been demonized across the United States, demonized by the Democrat Party in the name of police brutality. What they have is their own people, so-called Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and other groups, actually instigating persecution and murder, looting, plundering, destroying a property, vandalism, arson. They have all of this going on against black people and saying it's the police fault. It's not the fault of the police or white policemen. No, it's the fault of these people who control the cities of the United States. The Democrat Party controls the majority of the U.S. cities where all the, the destruction, havoc, mayhem has been happening for several months now and also for decades. It's a Democrat party that controls the cities in most places, or liberal Republicans, fake Republicans masquerading as Republicans when actually they believe like Democrats. But they say they're Republicans because it, they live in a Republican area and they will not hold office unless they say they believe in Republican values. But the majority are typically Democrat mayors and governors. How about the environment? They like to say, climate change, environment, don't you care about the environment? 
And among Christians and evangelicals, in academia, they, they would call this creation care. Creation care. Don't you care about creation? They, that's what they would say. And what is creation care or environmentalism? What is this? What is this new uh, Green New Deal? The Green New Deal is just another raw deal. And it will cost $100 trillion. $100 trillion to implement what they're saying. Where is that money going to come from? It's going to come from you and me, and it's going to increase poverty, widespread misery and poverty like we have never seen. Just look at pictures of Cuba, Venezuela, India. Look at pictures of North Korea. On the internet, there's plenty of pictures to see. Look at these pictures. Though India is not technically a communist country, it was until about 1990. Socialist communists, it was, from 1947 to 1990. And look at the utter misery of the people, even Christians. Do you want to live like that? Do you want to be fighting and clawing, scratching and biting with your family and neighbors to eke out a living? No. That's what they're going to cause. They will cause it. So who loves humanity? Do they? No. And then the environment. The environment now, especially in the last three years in the United States, is cleaner and better than ever before. The air, the water, the, the, the landscape, the scenery, our forests, except where the Democrats have power, like California. They know how to destroy, and they intentionally destroy the forests of California. But not us. We care in the proper way for all of that. And then how about the First Amendment? The freedom to assemble peaceably, to peaceably assemble. Uh, uh, the freedom to assemble even in public for redress, to demonstrate. They are prohibiting that. It's not okay for us to assemble as Christians. It's not okay to assemble as Christians, but it's okay to assemble to riot and loot and burn and pillage the American cities. That's a massive contradiction. Do we Christians not see that? Speaking of that, John Piper recently wrote an article, um, and in that article, he minces words, doesn't name names, but really he's attacking President Trump. And in that article, he is claiming that um, basically, he's equivocating or equalizing all sin. He's saying, yeah, th these are some sins and these are some sins. And I'm not saying that you need to do this or that. I'm not saying you're sinning, but we do have a big problem. I'm not telling you how to vote. He says all that, but really he is telling us how to vote because he and his people have been Democrats. Really, that's what he's doing. Well, when did he complain about the riots in his own city, the destruction of Minneapolis? When did John Piper complain? I have never heard. I don't know. He has kept quiet. And even in his article that I just read yesterday, he said he's been quiet about a lot of things lately, but now he just felt like he needed to say something about the upcoming election. Well, why did he not condemn the rioters in his own city of Minneapolis? And I would also like to know, can someone do some research for me? Where does John Piper live? 
Does he live in Minneapolis? Does he live in a gated community? Where does he actually live? Or does he live in some suburb? What kind of a house, in what kind of a house does he live? Where is he? I asked this question a few days ago about Tim Keller, and immediately one of the friends at the table looked up where Tim Keller lives, and Tim Keller, who believes basically the same as John Piper, though he pastors in New York City, he lives on Roosevelt Island. Roosevelt Island, Tim Keller, a posh, luxurious, wealthy island in New York. Tim Keller. I wonder if John Piper does the same. Al Mohler. I know Al, Al Mohler. He lives in the mansion on the campus of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He has immense wealth. He hasn't been paying rent for many years, since 1993. Rent or a mortgage since 1993. He's a multimillionaire, Al Mohler. He is. These people don't really believe it. So, what about the Second Amendment also? The Second Amendment. The Republicans support it. The Democrats are against it. They are against it. They want to take away our ability to protect ourselves first from the government seizing our weapons, and secondly, from the criminals who are harassing and assaulting us in our neighborhoods. They want to take that away so that they are the only ones who have it, just like the Nazis did. Right? And just like other tyrants in history have done. Right? They want to take that away from us. Is that not evil? And then with the sole power to have these weapons, they want to come and harass us. They want to be able to arrest us and interrogate us and imprison us and put us to death. And the same, the same with... Um, They would give these weapons to criminals, like Obama and Eric Holder did. Give the guns to criminals and not to the innocent, law-abiding citizen. Really, that's their intention. Gun control is a euphemism for gun confiscation and delivery to criminals. That's really what gun control is. Then, a few more points. Racism. Racism. Republicans, generally speaking, throughout their history, since the 1800s, 1854, with Abraham Lincoln onward, they have not been a racist party. They are not a racist party, not officially, not on their platform. In fact, they have historically fought against it, including deli uh, delivering freedom to black Slaves, black slaves. It was the Democrat Party that wanted to keep the institution of black slavery when they came into existence in 1828. So who is a racist? And then who has a history of racism? The Democrat Party. They, after the Civil War, Jim Crow laws, prohibiting this or that um, to black people. They are the ones that were uh, um, promoting the butchery of babies through Margaret Sanger in the 1900s to black babies in black neighborhoods. She started Planned Parenthood, and she outspokenly did it to get rid of the black people. 
or as she called them also, the Negro race. That's what she did in the Democrat Party. She also, I mean, they also, the Democrats, were the tutors of Adolf Hitler. The Nazis learned from the Democrats. This is documented by Dinesh D'Souza. The Democrats tutored Hitler, and they taught Hitler to do some things against the Jews that was too much even for Hitler. The Democrats taught. And then who is it that brought misery and poverty to the black people? It was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was one major Democrat who did it. And the next major one was LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson. He did so. And then Jimmy Carter did so. Bill Clinton did so. Barack Hussein Obama also did so. The first half-black president. He's not black, he's half-black. His mother was white. What about his white heritage? But he destroyed black people, too. Barack Hussein Obama. They are the true racists. They oppose the civil rights movement in the 1960s, so on. They are also the misogynists. They hate women. Yes, the Democrat Party hates women. Supposedly, they love women, and the Republicans and President Trump, they hate women. They are the misogynists. No, the Democrats are the misogynists. They have worked against women for a long, long time. At least since the mid-1900s, they've been working against women. They are the ones who eased up or helped to ease off or pushed um, easy divorce laws, which creates poverty, not just for the man and the woman, but especially for the woman, and creates a dependency on her, uh, for her on the government to get food stamps and whatever other welfare programs. They did that. They are the ones who celebrate pornography. They produce it. They are the ones who produce it. Even their own women produce it. They are the ones, the feminists are the ones who do things such as um, holding these women's marches. Have you seen their slogans at the women's march or the recent one a few days ago, a week or two ago in Washington, D.C.? Have you read their slogans? How utterly, utterly obscene they are? They have no conscience in the things that they say? What about the one... Uh, a few years ago in D.C., after President Trump was elected. You know the caps that they were wearing? The, the, the picture of the caps, or the image of the cap, the shape of the caps, and what they called it? It's the word that we cannot say in public. But they were saying it in public. The feminists, who supposedly care about women. And how about half of the babies who are butchered? How about half of the babies? The percentage, half are male, half are female. Why are they murdering female babies if they love women? They don't love women. And whenever there is a sexual scandal among Democrats, you never hear about it unless you're looking in the right places in your news sources. You never hear about it. It's always under the radar. It's always hush-hush. They never tell you. But if there is just a hint, just a little bit of hint in a Republican, then you hear about it 
for weeks and months, and it never goes away. For example, remember Stormy Daniels? Remember Stormy Daniels? Stormy Daniels. Even Christians, conservative Christians were saying, well, if this is true, Trump needs to resign. If this is true, he needs to resign. Stormy Daniels accused him of committing adultery when Melania Trump was pregnant. And yet, and then her lawyer, a corrupt man, Michael Avenatti, a very, very corrupt man, and he also now is in trouble with the authorities. He owes them a lot of money. He's cheated a lot of people. They even, Stormy Daniels, the prostitute, and him, they are fighting or were fighting each other because they were cheating each other during this lawsuit against Trump. And then when it went to court, the judge dismissed it. He said, there's nothing here. This is a waste of time. There's nothing. He dismissed it all. Right? The judge did that. Not Trump. He did not uh, pardon or exonerate him. It was the judge who did that. And then the judge made Stormy Daniels pay President Trump all of his legal fees. Right? And then what happened? Shortly thereafter, uh, maybe about a year later, then Stormy Daniels actually admitted, ha, huh, none of that was true. None of that was true. She actually admitted that. None of it was true. But did you hear about it? I'm sure. If, you, if I ask you to raise your hand, you heard about it. We heard about it for years, years. None of it was true. This is an illustration, not only of how they lie about the treatment of women, but their own women are perverse, prostitutional, and prevaricating. That's the way that they are. Their own women are that way. So do not believe them. Do not believe. White privilege. Have you heard that? White privilege, white guilt, white supremacy. Trump is a white nationalist. Trump is a, believes in white privilege. No. He has condemned it, condemned it throughout his lifetime. He does it constantly. He does it so often, he's so irritated by it, that sometimes he hesitates. I, I wonder if he, what he's thinking and feeling, if he could, what he would do to the inquirer. To, usually it's the journalist. But he keeps his cool, usually. He keeps his cool. He answers. And then they accuse him, well, why did you hesitate? Why did you hesitate? Why didn't you immediately denounce it? And he says, I've denounced it many, many times. I've denounced it. And then, listen, you know what they could do? I'm giving them an idea. I'm giving them an idea. They should take all of his denunciations. They should take all of his denunciations in a montage without the question being asked and just his denunciations. And then, you know what they should say? Why is Trump denouncing it so much? Does he feel guilty? Why is he denouncing it so much? Why does he talk about it so much? Do you see how manipulative they are, deceptive they are? If he denounces it because they persist in asking him, they say, you're not denouncing it enough. You're not doing it quickly. And if he doesn't do it, or if they manipulate the recordings, the interviews, they could easily say, it's on his mind all the time. He must be a real white nationalist and, and have white guilt, and he's just really, really talking about it too much. Why does he talk about it so much? 
There's no way of winning with these people. They are liars. They don't care about truth. So don't believe them. Do not believe them. Speaking of that, his personality, President Trump's personality. People say he's unpresidential and they don't like his tweets. They don't like his tweets. Now tell me, I don't know what's wrong with his tweets. Now I do think in one regard there is something, but generally speaking, I don't see what's wrong with his tweets. He's telling us what's going on. He's telling us his perspective. He's conveying resources to us. I don't see what's going on. He's telling us the truth. Really, if they are against his tweets, why is it okay for Hillary Clinton to tweet? Why is it okay for Barack Hussein Obama to tweet? Why is it okay for Joe Biden to tweet? Really, what they're trying to do is to keep his access to the American public and even the world to keep it restrained his access restrained so that their voices can be heard and not his. That's really what it's about. But there's nothing unpresidential about that. And then if you do want somebody presidential, what does presidential mean? Somebody who's going to talk to us like Barack Obama? Somebody who's going to talk to us like Bill Clinton? Or even someone who's going to talk to us like George W. Bush? When they talked, especially the Democrats, you couldn't believe a word they said. Is that what it means to be presidential? What does it mean to be presidential? Then in reference to the content, if they don't like his outspokenness, if they don't like his plain spokenness, if they don't like him telling the truth, then what they're really doing, like John Piper was doing, what they're really doing is accusing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus Christ told the truth, he didn't mince words. He didn't do that. He's told us straightforwardly what he thought. And when he had his enemies, either in their face or not, he, told, he said to Herod, go, to Herod, go and tell that fox, to the messengers of Herod, go and tell that fox, Luke 13, 32. He called him a fox. That's plain spoken. That's straightforward language, is it not? He said hypocrites, scribes and Pharisees, whitewashed tombs, concealed tombs, right? He called them things like that. Sons of the devil. What's wrong with telling the truth straightforwardly? Okay, then let me shake off some of, some of the most ridiculous things I've heard. Last year, early in the year, 2019, I was visiting, um, well, a man came up, he actually came up here for a Bible study one, um, one month, and then on the way back, I and my friend, we went to drop him off at his house. And we had not met his wife up to that point. So I said, since we're dropping you off, can we say hello? And he said, yes. Yeah. So we waited outside in the driveway. She came out of, out of the house into the driveway. And I was explaining to them how this brother, new brother in Christ, who was with us on the journey, how he came to Christ, because I said, this is his name, and, and this is his background, and just some talk like that. Well, after she heard that, and I just said it for about 15, 20 seconds, she looks at me and she says, you know, I think we're in the end times, and I believe that Jared Kushner is the Antichrist. You know who Jared Kushner? Jared Kushner, the son-in-law of President Trump. He is the Antichrist, 
and I believe he might be revealed this July. So this was early in 2019. July 2019 has come and gone, and Jared Kushner has not been revealed as the Antichrist. This is the kind of thing that gets bandied about out there on the Internet, and they accuse President Trump of absurd things like that. Furthermore, I've heard that President Trump, he has said of evangelicals, a quote something like this, that evangelicals believe that bull excrement. I'm not using the word, supposed word that President Trump used, but bull excrement. Evangelicals believe that bull excrement. Well, I researched it, found out who it was that claimed that President Trump said that. Well, it was none other than Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen, a lying rascal of a lawyer who wrote a book. He's in trouble with the law, too. He wrote a book, and he said that President Trump said that. Well, Michael Cohen isn't a believer. He's a Jew. Michael Cohen, he's a Jew. So he's a lying rascal, and so he writes that in a book. Evangelicals, naive, gullible evangelicals, see that Michael Cohen wrote, oh, it's in a book. It must be true. It must be true. But not even researching the kind of um, character, polluted character, filthy character Michael Cohen is. He's no reliable source for anything. How about this? President Trump is a deceiver, and he's a globalist. President Trump is a deceiver and a globalist. A globalist. A globalist is, control, is the Chinese communists trying to control the globe. So Chinese communistic tyranny. President Trump is a tyrant and a secret tyrant and a deceiver controlled by the Chinese communists. This man I met said Trump is a globalist. And I'm thinking, who, since the 1980s, has spoken consistently against the Chinese communists but President Trump? When I became aware of it, I've been speaking against it since at least the early 1990s. I have. And nobody else around me has. Not the media. No, 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 none of my friends, none of my pastors, none of my Christian friends have said that. But President Trump did. How in the world could anybody believe that President Trump was in bed with the Chinese communists? No, it's just a lie. How about President Trump worships Apollos? And then when I looked it up, actually they said that he not only, one said he worships Apollos, another one said that he considers himself the Apollyon of the book of Revelation. He's the Apollyon of the book of Revelation, destruction. I found that. Some obscure blogger. That was the source for that. Or how about that President Trump is a Scottish right Freemason. This also was another blogger, a Scottish right Freemason. Of course, Freemasonry is a cult, and it's unchristian, anti-Christian, and all that. I don't know if he is, but the source saying it said that he is, without evidence. Now, can you imagine if people were to say that about you? Or think about me. When people look at me, if they don't know me, I have the face of a Muslim man. When I'm wearing a beard, especially if my beard is long, 
I have the face of a Muslim man. So immediately, if people see me, or if I have some adversary, they could start accusing me of being a Muslim, even though I am a Christian. They could write a blog and say, this, uh, this Mudliar, he's really a deceiver. He's a Muslim. Look at his face. That's the evidence. Look at his face. Or my name is actually a Hindu name. My full name, first, middle, and last name, they are typical, staunch, perfect Indian Hindu names. Hindu names, okay? Polytheistic Hindu names. Well, I converted to Christ uh, since I was 19, when, he, when the Lord saved me at age 19. And since then, I'm now 54. I have been a Christian. But what if someone who has an ax to grind with me, who wants to slander me, writes a blog and says, no, no, he's not a Christian. He's a Hindu. His name is a Hindu name. That's the evidence. His, and he's a fraud. He claims to be a Christian, but he's a Hindu. Because if he were a Christian, he would have changed his name to John Smith. But his name is still Ishwaran Mudliar. So he's a Hindu. Do you see how absurd all these examples are? Both against President Trump and, and me, they could do the same with you. How would you like it? What should we do, therefore, as Christians? Use our minds. Check the evidence. Follow Scripture. Don't listen to popular preachers. Don't listen to all of the commotion and all of the cacophony that's there in the media. Don't listen to these people. Look at the evidence and act accordingly. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen. Father, I pray that we will understand your word properly and do what's right. In the name of Christ, amen. Uh, we have time for one or two questions, if it's brief. You have one? What's a fair, is there a biblical guide to, I mean, we read the passage earlier that says that you give to Caesar what Caesar's, you pay taxes, uh, but if the government's taking 50%, is that excessive? Should we just submit to it? Can we complain about it? What should we do about that? Taxes. What's the proper amount or percentage of taxes? I don't see a biblical verse that says you shall pay 10% or you shall pay 20%. There isn't a verse like that. Um, however, it does become obvious, self-evident, that the more they are taking away from you, the less you, are able, the less you are able to use for your own livelihood, and it creates a burden for your family. So the percentage is not exact, but I think that in, in, from culture to culture and, and place to place, cost of living here, cost of living there, various factors keeping those in mind, it becomes obvious when it becomes a burden on the people. Do you think it's a burden in America? Do I think it's a burden in America? Yes. Yes. Um, there, there are better ways, there are easier ways to handle this. Yeah. 
And also, once the tax is raised, my next question is, where does it go? Where does it go? There's a big black deep hole somewhere, or many holes, right? Uh, one is corruption. Another is um, uh, dereliction of duty, uh, incompetence, right? Uh, too many layers of administration. That's why deregulation is so good. That solves a lot of problems. You don't have to go through a bunch of hoops to do a simple thing. And for what purpose? Ostensibly, to justify their behavior, they say, it's for everyone's safety. Don't you care for everyone's safety? When really, that's not their concern. To some people who are, just go along with it, who don't know any better, they might say, yeah, it's for safety. But the people who make these decisions, they actually know it's not for safety. It's for regulating us and taking money from us, a way to exploit us. One more question? Yes. Okay. You've been accused that um, why don't we just give money to people if you don't give money to people, even if it's through the government, uh, the municipalities, the states, and the federal government, if they don't give money to people, or if you don't want them to give money to people, you don't care for people. Okay. The biblical argument and practice is the very opposite. Actually, in our next session, we're going to cover that the first hour uh, tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., we'll cover that. And basically, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. What happens when money is given, just like that, from the government to the citizen or to the illegal alien, when it's given that way, it discourages work. It discourages responsibility. It discourages ingenuity. It discourages the, the man of the house caring for his own family. And when they make it available to the woman of the house or the wife, apart from the man, they are creating a wedge between husband and wife or man and woman with their children and creating misery and division in that family so that the woman is dependent because she has to feed her children dependent on the government. So it actually does the opposite of what they claim. So when they say they care, therefore, the government in California is going to give $800 to every citizen or to a, uh, those in the municipality, give $800 to each citizen. Really, they don't care. They don't care. And this is a way to destroy people. The way to destroy people is to give them things without working. Second Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Okay, another example. In the book of Ruth, didn't Ruth, who, who was a widow from a foreign land, a Moabitess, she came into Judea, and did the Judeans and the government set up an office and have all of the foreign widows stand in line to get from the government 
uh, fixed salary? No. God sent the widows into the field to glean in the field. Even a widow had to work. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1-16, the Apostle Paul, he there teaches that first the families should care for their own widows, and then at a point, if a widow meets certain qualifications, the church should help the widow. But nowhere does Scripture say, that you, um, you, you widows shall receive help from the government or the poor or whatever, receive help from the government. And the government means exploitation of the working citizen to the bum. Really, that's what it is. So it increases bummery. And that's a bum deal. Okay. Okay. All right. Is that all? Okay, thank you.